Welcome to the sixth installment in our 12-part exploration of the Disneyland character department as told by two best friends who lived it. Wow, Jeff, halfway through our podcast journey, <laughs> reliving the good, the bad, and the Disney. How you feeling so about the show good. so far? Good experience? Yeah, so far so good. I mean, like, it, it is always interesting, like, always talking with you, Adam, because you have a very specific memory sometimes, and not always a very accurate memory, but it's, <laughs> it, it takes the place of me not having a memory at all about something that happened, like, my gosh, almost 20 years ago. Crazy. You still getting a lot of good feedback when you wear your Two Goofs t-shirt around town? Not as much. They're more confused. They're kind of like, <laughs> oh, you're still doing that? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, like, talking to a lot of people that have listened to Sequel Quest, they really seem to love this, maybe even more than our main podcast. So. I would agree, yeah. I mean, we, <laughs> we've been doing Sequel Quest for quite a few years, and it's a very niche group, and yet I think the response to Two Goofs has been immediate. You know, the Disney-loving public out there has certainly found us and embraced us. And actually, what's kind of funny is whenever I mention the show to people, they're like, oh, you'll have to send me a link to that. So <laughs> I think that's pretty nice. So we have quite a fun discussion planned for you tonight but before we get into our topic let's open up some goof mail and this time around we decided to read a few of our reviews from apple Podcasts because we are proud to be sitting at a five star rating right now thanks to some of you loyal goofsters out there who've taken the time so jeff why don't you read us the first one Excellent. Five-star rating from OC Goofy says, Love these goofs, a fantastic podcast. Been binging it for two days and hoping they expand it to many more bonus episodes. Great audio quality and pacing. The stories leave me wanting more. Only because there's so much more to tell, I hope. Uh. <laughs> We're not being too coy. <laughs> but that's great, yeah. We want to give you those bonus episodes. It's just a matter of reining in these busy people who have some awesome stories to to share but you know time will allow that to happen i'm sure here's our second review here from user qh7rs <laughs> i don't know if that's a bot or a, you know a disney bot i'll take it <laughs> says entertaining and informative i just found this podcast and it's great the hosts tell great stories about their unique experiences working with disney as someone who loves disney but has no experience in this department it's so fascinating to hear these stories this is the perfect podcast for Disney lovers who want some behind-the-scenes content. There we go. Yeah, we try to give you something unique that maybe you're not getting everywhere else. There are a few other cast members that do shows, but how many former characters? Right, that are not trying to do a scandalous tell-all or something like yeah. that. Yeah, and getting back to the wanting more, we know last episode we promised you an interview with a former Aladdin face character from the park, but that scheduling just has not quite worked out. You know, life outside the Magic Kingdom can be full of responsibility. That's why we go to the parks, right? A little rest from daily life, some fun, some fantasy, but rest assured that we are working on getting some more interviews with our friends and former co-workers to bring to you soon. That being said, we aren't running short of things to say about our experiences, and Jeff had a fun one just last night. Jeff, why don't you tell him what you did returning to the Disneyland Resort? It's true. So I actually live in Ontario, not Canada, but California, <laughs> about 45 minutes north of Anaheim, but my niece is in town from Chicago, so she wanted to see Disneyland. And as we have joked about previously, being former cast members, we cannot afford to go to Disneyland. So instead, we went to downtown Disney last night, and my son AJ is two years old, and so he likes all the Disney characters, but his favorite is Donald Duck. And so he was very excited. There's actually a really neat video game on uh, Xbox called Disneyland Adventures, where you just get to run around Disneyland and meet all of the different characters. So we're hoping that that 
that does it for him until he can actually meet the real people. So last night, yeah, we did go down to Downtown Disney, walked around and, you know, showed him the different statues of the characters, which he very much enjoyed. But especially for me was special because we also walked by Goofy's Kitchen. And in walking by Goofy's Kitchen, we got to glance that they have a new photo location since we've worked there that Goofy, it looks like, is is up in that photo location full time, which uh, we could talk about that if we want to. But then as we were walking by, we also saw Minnie Mouse in her full kitchen attire walking around to tables. And so AJ was overjoyed to see both of them. That was pretty special. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm glad he got a, a little preview of the characters. It sounds like he wasn't concerned or frightened in any way. So that's well, good. Especially not from that distance. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> I actually, I, I was just talking to a friend who was just there last week and she was telling me that they went to Goofy's Kitchen specifically because they wanted to have that one-on-one character interaction, but they didn't want it to interfere with their plans for actually going on rides and experiencing the park as a whole. So they said, well, we went to Goofy's Kitchen when we first got there. So the kids got to meet everybody and they were super excited that Mickey was there and Minnie. And then, you know, the next day we just got to enjoy, you know, Galaxy's Edge and do a lightsaber experience and all these other things. So, you know, it sounds like they uh, made the most of Goofy's Kitchen. And if you want to get the history of Goofy's Kitchen and some real fun stories, go back to episode five with our Disney character dining experience conversation, because there was some some stories in there you probably were not expecting and they were way fun. So, Which, on a side note, I do want to mention, too, that I, I did hear recently on the radio that with the opening of Galaxy's Edge, this is the best time to go to Disneyland and not go to Galaxy's Edge because that's what everybody's doing. So the lines for almost all the other rides in the park are extremely short considering that it's summer. So this is this is that sweet spot in the next couple of weeks to go if you're willing to pass up Galaxy's Edge. And speaking of open ride lines and plenty of space to move around in, our topic for tonight definitely knows what that is all about because we are ready to jump in the Wayback Machine with you, take you to February 2001 for the opening of Disney's California Adventure in Anaheim. Now, this park has such an interesting history to it. Just very briefly, to mention, going way back to the early 90s, they had wanted to create a Disneyland resort, not just a single park, where guests could spend more money. You know, if you just go for a single day, you're not spending that much money. Stay for a couple days, you know, got a couple parks to visit, more uh, profit for the Walt Disney Company. So they had a concept called Westcott, so it's going to be like Epcot, but on the West Coast. Then they said, well, what if we did also like an aquarium themed park near the Queen Mary in Long Beach, so that was considered. Uh, but then, all of a sudden, they got this idea, let's open up Disneyland in Paris. And that underperformed and cost a lot of money, and suddenly the funding was not quite there for this brand spanking new expansion, you know, that would be worthy of comparison to Walt Disney World. So, instead, Michael Eisner and his team came up with the idea of a California-focused theme park in California. To me, that's like kayaking in your bathtub when you got a river running through your backyard. It just doesn't quite compute. The explanation that I had heard was that if you go to Disney World in Florida, the advantage that they have in Disney World, they have almost unlimited property that that is accessible. In fact, Walt's vision for that was he actually wanted to build a self-contained community around the Epcot Center. But what they ended up doing is they built the parks in such a way that you're supposed to not be able to see everything in less than seven days. So it's supposed to be a week-long family thing. And the trouble was, like you just said, Adam, is that Disneyland, yes, it's a busy day, but it's pretty much one day. I mean, if you spend two days at Disneyland, you're going to kind of run out of stuff to do. So that was the, the problem. They would have guests come all the way to Anaheim you know, spend one day at Disneyland and then you know they spend Saturday there. And then what do they do on Sunday? And they would have to like, well, let's go see Hollywood, I guess. Let's go see the Golden Gate Bridge. Like, no, 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 you can't drive. Uh, my my in-laws from Chicago were like, can we drive to the Golden Gate Bridge today? Like, no, <laughs> that's like a whole state away virtually. So what the idea was, what if we made a park that simulated 
traveling all around California. So we had the Golden Gate Bridge. We had the San Francisco district. We had Hollywood. We had, you know, all the different elements of, of, of California were supposed to be represented there. And the added bonus of now you've got two days worth of park to go to. Right. And I just think it's funny. Like I, I almost imagine that they were too deep in the Southern California bubble because huh. growing up, Jeff, you can talk about this as a SoCal kid. You do not travel North. You, you know, you, you go out of state for a vacation because you pretty much have everything you need. Like in my opinion, Northern California might as well have been Ohio or Michigan. You know, it's just, it was a totally different place. And so like the idea, if you're living in Southern California, you're like, yeah, ooh, Northern California wine country, you know, Yosemite or, you know, the Bay Area. I guess they might have considered that to be a magical experience for locals. You know, it's like, like you said, if, if people could travel all around California in one day, but I do not believe that is why people come to Disneyland. They do not come to a Disney theme park with that in mind. Mm. You know, you go to Knott's Berry Farm, you're getting the Wild West experience. You go to Magic Mountain, you're getting the gang's experience. Like, <laughs> Magic Mountain's kind of a rough no. place to <laughs> hang out in. It's one of those things where I feel like they said, well, what can we do on the cheap? And we can get a bunch of generic rides or, you know, theme park attractions that really are at home at any state fair or some type of, uh, you know, boardwalk situation, which again, Northern California has those things, but so does like the East Coast and things like that. So I feel right. like it, it was probably fairly disappointing for people to arrive to that and say, oh, so I could do this anywhere, but I'm paying Disney prices to right. come into a theme park. And it's the funny thing, and I was thinking about it too, like with Galaxy's Edge opening, which I haven't actually heard any reviews yet, but I've heard some of the thoughts going into it. But it's the funny thing is that pre-California Adventure, if Disney was going to do something, Disney was going to do something right, Traditionally, every time Disney would open something, it would blow people away. Like, that was just who Disney was. And then, yeah, so when California Adventure came out and it didn't blow people away, I think it, it was less of like, hey, let's just kind of do this halfway and, like you said, kind of do it on the cheap. And it was more the picture of they bit off more than they could chew. Is that idea is that the three goals that I always heard with California Adventure was one, that whole let's wrap all of California up into one theme park. Two was let's make it an entire weekend. And three, let's make a Disney park for people who don't want to come to Disneyland. A theme park with alcohol that we're going to serve and we'll put like a real roller coaster forget the theme we'll just make it like a roller coaster and a water ride and like all of these things that were supposed to be you know this big deal and yeah i think it was just it was just too much there was also just a lot of wasted space it was it, it was it was like not a theme park it was like a fancy city park to walk around in without attractions i mean they had a whole area that was a wharf and there was nothing there. It was a wharf recreated. And you're like, okay. Uh, and, and then, you know, they had a, a whole area that was, you know, the bountiful farms or whatever. You know, they're sort of like, oh. And then right next to it was a winery. And you're like, okay. There's just areas to walk around and say, look at all the architecture we recreated here. Oh, uh, yeah, just like, that's true. I, I don't, don't care. see anything that's getting me excited. <laughs> like, I was even watching video of the initial preview day because for annual pass holders in January of 2001 they said oh we'll build the buzz we'll let them all come in and have a preview day at the park and I'm watching the videos and, and like your home videos that people took and literally guests are just looking back and forth trying to find something to get excited about and there's nothing to look at <laughs> there, there's nothing that you say oh yes oh so cool so exciting so we're going to get a little bit more into what was involved in the park but I think before we get any farther Jeff you know we both hired in when this was in process so the park was already getting ready to be built they had taken over the actual parking lot that used to be out in front of disneyland it paved over it now they've created a new area that was going to be disney's california adventure what do you remember jeff when you hired in was the buzz about this new park so my impression is that i hired in shortly before 
the buzz or the prep or whatever it was. I don't. I know that parking lot was gone. I don't remember what. I mean, I feel like it was still far enough out that it was very vague. I seem to have some recollection of like a fence with little portholes that you could look through and it would just be construction. And I feel like when I hired in, I feel like it was just dirt. I don't think there was actually anything that you could see yet. The biggest thing that I remember buzz-wise, which we've kind of brought up before, is that when I hired in, and actually I found a photo of, it wasn't my hiring group, we called it a cast photo, which was basically the entire character department or at least the ones that sh- decided to show up on their day off, took a photo together. And there's maybe 50 people. And I think there was maybe about 15 of them missing. So there was about 65 people there. When California Adventure opened, there was 250 people in the department. So the character department quadrupled in size in a span of two years. So that was definitely, uh, and I think we talked about it when we were talking about hiring practices, is that we went from doing, I think at one point they were doing an audition either every month or every other month that was the biggest shift at least for me professionally i guess yeah now and i remember when i was hiring in because i hired in in 2000 so they were just in the build-up just getting Mm. ready for the launch and at that point they had already switched over the branding to be the disneyland resort which is to say, you know, oh, yeah. like I'm looking at my name tag right now and my name tag has at the top of it a picture of Sleeping Beauty's castle. But right behind it is the image of the Grizzly Peak. Oh, yeah. So basically they merged those two images to say this is the new Disneyland Resort now. So the branding was always like that. I remember even on all the shopping bags and things that you would get at a, you know, at all the stores, it had that combined graphic. So it was definitely something that they were pushing really hard. And I remember specifically seeing the commercials for the opening. Okay. So you had all the Disneyland characters Uh at a hedge with Buzz Lightyear looking through. I remember that. And he's kind of given everybody the lowdown about what was going on. So a lot of our friends in the department were playing those characters. But that's what I found so interesting about it is that they were promoting the park by showing the characters and showing Disneyland and showing that, oh, they're excited about it. Your favorite characters are excited about California Adventure, <laughs> so you should be too. You're not going to see most of them at the park, but <laughs> they're right. not really a part of the plan. However, you know, you might as well just go check it out because they, they seem to think that this giant bear mountain is going to be a lot of fun yeah. or And it's the other thing that I heard, too, is that the vision of California Adventure was not only was it huge, but it was also very ill-defined. Like you kind of mentioned about the different lands. I've heard some of the vision for those lands. Like one area is Hollywood Land, and Hollywood Land was supposed to be basically like Universal does it, where they've got lookalikes of famous people walking around. They were actually going to be filming like Disney shows. They're going to film Hannah Montana and have Miley Cyrus walking around. They're going to like literally the actual people not just like lookalikes, but also have a Marilyn Monroe lookalike and like a Clint Eastwood lookalike and stuff like that. The wharf area was supposed to have artists all over the place and street performers and all that sort of stuff like that. And that all got cut when the budget kind of got out of hand. And so the same thing, like you're talking about, Adam, with the characters, from what I heard is that the first vision was we want this to be as un-Disney as Disney can be, so there will be no characters at all. And then vision two was, well, we want characters, but maybe we just want the hip and cool characters. So then the second thought was Max from Goof Troop was going to be California Adventures Mickey Mouse. Max was going to be everywhere. And then they're kind of like, eh, but no one knows who Max is. And so then they kind of ended up with what we ended up with. Yeah, so I think we should we should get into that. Just to mention here, when the park actually opened, so they had the preview day, did not go well. The annual pass holders were very disappointed that it bore no resemblance to a Disney park and so that spread so when they actually had the opening on February 8th their big opening ceremonies very few people showed up and very few people continued to show up in the subsequent weeks in (laughs) fact I watched some old news reports and there's this guy on there he's like it's great we thought we were going to have to fight the crowds there's nobody here (laughs) so it was a major major disappointment now speaking of that Jeff I had a question for you I seem to remember a company man 
mandate for cast members that there was going to be this brief period where they said cast members cannot get signed in to California Adventure. So please do not try to sign in your family and you will not be allowed to get in for free initially. Do you remember that at all? Or do I, did I? Nope, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That did not last very long. Yeah, exactly. They they started encouraging (laughs) us to go instead but yeah they're right because they were convinced that it was going to be a zoo my thought is that might be what's going on with galaxy's edge right now i bet you cast members are not allowed to get reservations i'm sure but when you got to the park there were places you could count on seeing characters okay so at disneyland pretty much everywhere there's characters designated in California Adventure, I mean, the number one place for sure that you were going to see characters was the Hollywood Pictures backlot. So that was the place where characters were essentially assigned to walk around. And that was one area where you'd have Goofy and Max, as mentioned. Goofy was generally a solo character at Disneyland, anywhere you went. So to have Max with you and walking around, not that I ever came up with any real great bits to do with Max, you know, but it was just cool to have a little companion to walk around with hang on a second because the one thing too is that this also went through an evolution where initially characters were not allowed in the hollywood backlot we were only in whatever that first opening the the sundial area yeah, like their the plaza yeah. That was the only one. And then I think you're right. Once the shows started, they kind of morphed them over, over there too. Yeah, that's a good point. You're right, actually. Yeah, there was that Sunshine Plaza where you would have Mickey and Minnie and Goofy and they were all in their tourist attire. So, you know, Mickey and Minnie had these weird kind of safari slash Hawaiian outfits on <laughs> that they would wear. And as we mentioned previously, you know, Goofy had cargo shorts and a Hawaiian shirt open with another shirt underneath. And, you know, Max was kind of a hybrid, I feel like, between the Goof Troop Max and the Goofy Movie Max, because he was, you know, a little bit taller, but it was just kind of somewhere in between. But then there were, I'm looking here on my brochure from that opening year. So at the Bountiful Valley Farm, you were promised to see Mickey Mouse several times a day, as well as Flick from A Bug's Life. Then at Condor Flats, you would be able to see Minnie Mouse, where she was going under the moniker of Minnie Earhart. Yeah. Ah! Yeah. Ah! So she was, she was a pilot there. And then at the Redwood Creek Challenge Trail, which I believe eventually morphed into a brother bear kind of area, mm-hmm. uh, that you would meet Chip and Dale. Also promised at the Hollywood Pictures backlot was Cruella DeVille, eventually, oh, yeah. as a base character. Uh-huh. She was very fun to have around. I mean, and then it was just like whoever, because there's also a designation here for right off the screen, meet some of Disney's newest stars along Hollywood Boulevard. And they would kind of wander around out in front of the animation building and things like that. And so some of the characters that we had the opportunity to play over there. In that era, that was pretty much it that I can recall is doing Goofy. Because, I mean, like the characters that you mentioned, you know, that was the only one in our height range. Um, One that was interesting, which um, maybe we'll We'll talk about shows a, a little bit later, which I think is gone now. But for a while, they had Roly Poly Oli and Bear in the Big Blue House as a show there. And that was huge. And everyone my height desperately wanted to do the bear in the Bear in the Big Blue House. But I didn't. We have mentioned in the past uh, when we kind of ran down all the characters we played. I did get to play Mr. Incredible uh, as well as Kronk. Jeff questioned my physical fitness at the time that I was actually (laughs) able to fit into those costumes. But it's true. I have photo evidence. So I've shared those on on our Twitter feed and on our Facebook. If you'd look there as well as the websites, you can go to twogoofspodcast.com and see a few more of the gallery. But yeah, so those were always fun. Now, one story that I have teased for several episodes that I've I've given you a little bit was the story of a celebrity that I met while in Kronk. So, you know, Kronk's a pretty muscular guy, so obviously you're going to be given to doing some flexing and posing and things like that. So I was uh, out in front of the animation building. This was a slow day, like many of the days, so I didn't have a lot to do out there, so I'm just kind of fooling around. And all of a sudden... 
this gentleman walks up and he's got a couple of kids with him, but they weren't super interested in me. So I remember them kind of wandering off. And this guy comes up to me. He's got like a FUBU track suit on. He had an actual Walkman. Now, this was the early 2000s. This is like just as iPods were starting to exist. But a portable CD player is what you were used to seeing. Cassette tapes were done. So seeing somebody with an old Walkman on their belt and headphones was very much a surprise. So I distinctly remember that. But anyway, it was an African-American gentleman. He came up to me and he started like, hey man, how you doing? All right. And he was like, he was shadow boxing with me. So he was doing a little rope-a-dope, a little Muhammad Ali stuff. So it was fun. Like we were just messing around. And then, you know, we took a picture, we high-fived, he left. So after I came in off of my shift, my lead came up to me and he's like, Adam, do you know who that was? It's like, I, I don't. It was just kind of fun. He's like, that was MC Hammer. I was like, what? Wow. Can you believe it? Oh, and I was like, for my era to have been that close to MC Hammer, this was right after his Didn't decline. Didn't even you recognize know. him. I know, sad. You know, <laughs> It had been too long since I'd seen the You Can't Touch This video or <laughs> Hammerman cartoon, I guess. But still, that was exciting. <laughs> Those are the two that you name Hammerman. Oh, Hammerman. Oh. I'd love to see him in the park. Come on, Hammer, do it. I hope that was worth the wait guys <laughs> hammer at california adventure if anybody was there there was a real celebrity sighting but yeah so it was interesting that we would get a chance to interact with the other characters as well like i say i have a picture with me posed with mickey Mitty, cruella deville kuzco and then i'm in cronk so it's just a real kind of motley crew of characters that were kind of mixed around <laughs> that would wander but that jeff and i also got a chance to participate in a I, I've actually been watching a lot of videos about the history of California Adventure and nobody mentions Muppet Vision 3D mm. and I don't know why it's just totally ignored as one of the opening attractions but I know it was ported over from Walt Disney World I believe so it wasn't a new show by any means but it was a pretty fun situation you know because the Muppets had recently been acquired by Disney. Jeff were you a big Muppets fan? I mean I grew up with the Muppets so they've been just kind of like part of my DNA and my parents were always big. I mean, my dad always tells the story that he would r rush home from work so that he could make sure and catch the Muppet show uh, when it was still airing on television. And so I don't know if I was as big of a Muppet appreciator, but I loved Muppet Vision. And since that time, I've become a huge Muppets fan. So Okay. Yeah, because for me, I was 100% in on Muppet Babies. Uh, so I love that cartoon. I was Saturday mornings because I got VHS tapes full of Muppet Babies, but I was not big like on the Muppets films. I didn't really watch the Muppet show. So like the live action Muppets, I didn't know too much about them. And so when I was getting trained to be part of the show, which features a costumed character of Sweetums, I was like, I don't know who Sweetums is, but okay. You know, like we'll get in on this. Now, Jeff, my recollection of the training for the show, did we train together? Was that your first time participating or had you been playing Sweetums at the park open? No, definitely not at the park open. In fact, I didn't want to do it for a while because I didn't want to get stuck there doing it all the time because the first guys that did it, like there was only like three or four people that were actually approved for it. And so that's all they ever did. And I actually was resistant to that. But once everyone was talking about, oh, it's the greatest shift in the whole park. I'm like, all right, all right. Yeah, so I don't know if you were part of that second group. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I was because that's okay. what I'm saying. I, 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 I remember distinctly... Being in the theater after the park had closed, mm -hmm. so we had to wait. It was like, and I think we got like time and a half for the training, because I remember because it was like after hours, it was late in the evening, and we were just sitting out there, and I remember watching the Muppet Vision 3D film like at least 30 times. Like oh, it was yeah. just playing on a loop while we were Speed rehearsing. Buddy. <laughs> go away go away go away which is very adam and i that there was definitely the so that does make sense for us to have watched it together because there yeah. were definitely those one line that you hear over and over and over again <laughs> until it becomes that's the line that you think is the most hilarious even right. though go away go away that's not the funniest line in the movie but that was the one that we always laughed at 
Yeah, and I mean, for us, it was especially fun, too, because I remember watching it so many times that you started picking up on the Easter eggs that are part of that. Things that the Muppeteers put in, either in the background or in the design of characters. For example, there's a scene towards the end where there's this big kind of military symphony playing, and there's all these characters. I can't remember if they're the Doozers from Fraggle Rock or not. Similar, though. Yeah, basically, but one of them is not wearing pants. I don't so, think that was added. I think that was just a mistake. You think? I, I don't that know. Was a mistake. They wouldn't put <laughs> someone with no pants in there. <laughs> oh, but either way, they missed it, so I remember that going on. Or maybe his pants were just the same color as his skin. I'm going to give him the yeah. benefit of the doubt. <laughs> Fair enough. They're like, hey, Pooh Bear could do it. This guy could do it. <laughs> so true. But yeah, so that was fun. Or at least that's what we had to deal with to make it fun. Because <laughs> it's just like, we're going to watch this a million times, get the most out of it. But the thing was with Sweetums, what we had to be trained in is, so most of the movie obviously is on a screen. It's a 3D film. It's classic Muppets. It's very fun. But towards the end of it, Bean Bunny, goes missing because again Sam the Eagle tells him to go away go away <laughs> you know so at that point he's leaving everybody's looking for Bean Sweetums is trying to help out he's got a flashlight and he's going around this black screen then all of a sudden he comes out into the audience so the thing that we had to be trained on which was kind of fun was the mechanic of how do you act as a character with two arms but then puppeteer the mouth to have the lips flapping while the character's vocal track is playing. So, Jeff, you want to explain how that worked? I guess the way that the costume is built, it was actually a very comfortable costume to wear because it was basically just like rag. But it was very loose in the front. So, basically, you would have one arm as your arm and then your other arm that you'd have tucked up on your chest. And that would be the one that you actually puppeteer the mouth with. So, then the challenge was this scene was pretty easy so you basically would just walk around one hand would either be hanging limp you were technically supposed to velcro it to your side so it looked like he was had his hand on his hip or something like that so you'd have the flashlight in the other one and you're moving the mouth with the other one the bigger challenge was in a second scene where you come out and you actually had to say a line transfer your hand into your actual hand pick up a bucket with two hands and then mime throwing water on somebody. So that took a little bit more, yeah, kind of dexterity and stuff like that to, to figure that whole thing out. Yeah, so it was kind of fun. The interesting thing about the Sweetum shift as well was that, you know, normally with our shifts, Jeff, what was it? It should have been 30-30. Yeah, Sweetums, the show was running, what, every 20 minutes or so? So you, you were dipping in and out. And Jeff, right. what was the indicator? Was it just, we, we just had the speaker, like the soundtrack yeah. was just playing nonstop. Stop, right? right. So you just, Which was yeah. kind of so the funny thing about that shift. So basically, there would be three of you, but two of you would work most of the time, and then one would come in just at the end. So there would only ever be two of you in there at the same time. So you would whoever opened it, they would be by themselves, and then the the next person would come in, and so you'd have like six hours or seven hours with that person, and then the other person would come in just for the end of the shift. Uh, and so they actually gave us the freedom to pick our schedules sort of so basically like the worst possible schedule would be let's switch off every other show because i don't even think they were 20 minutes long i think they were only like 10 or 15 or maybe 12 so then it would be basically you work for 12 minutes and you get a 10 minute break and then 10 and 10 and 10 and 10 and 10 so basically by the time you're changed into your regular clothes you almost have to change back again so instead we would do like three four or you know Sometimes I think we even did five shows in a row. So that would give the other person a time, like a nice hour or something to go take a break, get lunch, you know, whatever. But the tough part, like you mentioned, Adam, is that so in the break room, you had to have the speaker going of the show at all times because that would be your cue. And so if you were in there on a break, it was kind of like it never stopped, you know, and you'd have to, everybody had to bring headphones if you were on break because otherwise it would just, it would just drive you crazy. So we would have, I don't even remember if they let us have a TV in there. I don't think they did, not for a long time. Because no, they were, yeah, there was no TV. Yeah, yeah, they were afraid we'd miss the cue. So some people would have one ear on the, on the headphone and the other one like listening or whatever it was just so that the sound wouldn't drive you crazy. But then, yeah, we would know the show well enough so that we could time it out so that we could get dressed and everything and, and catch our cue. 
Yeah, and I have some pictures of me in my outfit getting ready to play Sweetums, so I'll be posting that to social media, so keep an eye out for that uh, kind of fun behind-the-scenes look at that experience. Now, one of the things I think that is just, it's interesting, we, we talked about, you know, the, the atmosphere characters that were walking around, again, being essentially the main link that, you know, all the guests would have to the Disney brand, so in a way, we were essential to it even being considered a Disney theme park because it was so tangentially you know it's like we're across the street but Disney characters are essentially just visiting here this is not their land so you're lucky to catch them type of attitude you know Sweetums was not really a Disney character it was Muppets had been acquired by Disney but there were other shows uh, and we'll get into more detail in a later episode as to kind of the mechanics of those shows but Jeff was actually a performer in two of them you know as the park was evolving but one of the shows that kicked off immediately with was one that was called Goofy's Beach Party Bash because there used to be a stunt show that was mm, there yes but it wasn't until that went away and they basically d- embraced the whole character thing. But, I mean, so, but that was within six months because, again, the brochure that I'm looking at right here yeah. is from August of 2001 and wow. they're already promoting Goofy's Beach Party Bash. So that's okay. what I'm saying. That, it wasn't that early. Yeah, you're right. Quickly. I mean, yeah. It was, it was an early one. I mean, I'm guessing that the shows that they started with, they went over well, so they got bigger and bigger and bigger. Minnie had some sort of a show that she would do in Condor Flats. There was a show. Eventually, they got that show before Bugs Lifeland. Flick and Ada had a show in... What did you call it? B- something. Bountiful Valley Bountiful Farm. Bountiful Valley Farm. But yeah, yeah it was yeah. called It's It's Tough to Be a Bug. And that yep. was basically like Honey, I Shrunk the Audience. So it was an interactive 3D film. No, not that one. No, that's that's later. The first, there was an actual like stage show that was just oh, the two okay. of them coming out. And I think it was like Mickey was a farmer and then they were actual ants and then he somehow got to know them and a problem came up and the kids had to help. That was there. And then, of course, now it's Bugs Lifeland. There was one with Chip and Dale. They had a show before Brother Bear uh, that was over there. And then, like you said, yeah, there was not only Beach Party Bash. Then the one that I thought was really interesting, I don't know that we've done something like that, is they had a Monsters, Inc. show, but there was no place for it. So they actually built us a drivable stage. So what they would do, and this is the one that I was in as Sully, so they would put Sully and Mike on this stage, which was basically like, it looked like a kid's closet, and then they would drive it out to a section in the park, they would start the music, and then out would come Mike, and then we would just do the show. We had set places, obviously. They didn't just pick random spots, but it was very interesting. The kind of the bummer about it was, so you had to get dressed, you had to stand there as they move, like drive to the spot, do the show, go back in, drive all the way back, and then you can change. So it was kind of You had to stay in that costume an awful long time. Yeah, and speaking of Monsters, Inc., after my first stint at Disney, I briefly worked as a manager for a KB toy store. And and at that time, that end of the year, Black Friday, everybody wanted the talking Boo doll. So we were just getting calls every day. Do you have the Boo doll that talks? And so, I mean, we didn't. I mean, it came and went really fast. So we would get like two or three and they would sell out immediately. So Monsters, Inc. was, was a big deal. What was not a big deal is a ride that opened with the part called Superstar Limo, which eventually became the Monsters, Inc. ride. But if you don't know this, I mean, there are YouTube videos that will tell you every detail of the conception of this, but I remember riding it, you know, as the park opened, (laughs) and man, was that a... That was just nonsense. So the genius... Well, and like you said about the conception, is that that basically all that stuff that we talked about with the Hollywood lot wanting to be celebrities and stuff like that, that turned into Superstar Limo. But we're not going to get lookalikes. So what if we get cardboard cutouts of all of these lookalikes and we make it a ride where you're riding through Hollywood and look, there's Jackie Chan. And it's just this cardboard cutout of Jackie Chan. Oh my gosh. Like 
it was hands down the worst ride in the history of Disney, if you ask me. I mean, like, that Pooh Bear monstrosity that's in Critter Country now is close, because it feels like an acid trip, and I've never done acid before. But <laughs> Superstar Limo is, is so much worse. But the brilliant thing, and I don't remember... If, I did this with you, Adam. I know because you would have worked there already, but um, I know I did with our friends uh, Justin and David, is that I figured out that the genius of Dizzy's California Adventure was all in ride order. And so the secret was you would bring people into the park and the very first thing, you got to take them on Superstar Limo because that sets the bar so low that anything else you do from that point on, they're just like, oh, okay. So you do that and you and you, know, you go on all the rides and then you end it on um, Soaring Over California, which is brilliant. And then, then they're like, wow, this park is actually pretty good because they've now forgotten about how horrible it started off. It's true. And to be fair, the backgrounds and the sets were all cutouts that were two-dimensional. The characters of the celebrities themselves were rubbery statues, but they were not animatronic in uh, any way. So they would just like wiggle back and forth. It was pretty creepy. I mean, and you had like Tim Allen, you had Antonio Banderas and Melody Griffith, which my understanding was that it was initially supposed to be Tom Cruise and a Cole Kidman, but they had just broken up before the ride <laughs> opened, so they had to change it up. But he had like Regis Philbin and Drew Carey. It was basically anybody that was on ABC or it tied to Disney films in some way they could shove in there. And it was also super creepy because there was this guy that was your agent yeah. that was talking to you on this video screen. And it was just, yeah. So, I, I mean, it was not a good ride and it closed within months uh, of the parks. Did it opening. really? They just, wow. It they, felt like, like it was said, there forever. I mean, I guess I saw it every day. Yeah. But I mean, it was an embarrassment but basically they just decided it's better to close it than to expose guests to this at all there you go on the second hide though didn't the gold is the golden zephyr still there yeah and they, it is and i just watched a video posted a month ago and i was like that thing was always was broken so bad but it was so it was like when when superstar limo left that was my next plan is i'd take him on the golden zephyr because that was another <laughs> one of like and they would just look at me like what oh that reminds me the best part of superstar limo is that for some reason right at the end they would take your picture and they would post it but they took it in such a random spot that every single guest on that photo was always like huh and they were just looking <laughs> in the wrong direction like there you guys are do you want to buy this photo oh no you probably don't do you yeah and, and actually i should mention that you know the final celebrity the big celebrity that you would see at the very end was Whoopi goldberg oh yeah and, and she was all the paparazzi were around her and everything and she was like the patron saint of california adventure when it opened it really should have been called Whoopi's dca because there was this movie that was called golden dreams and it told you the history of California and it was narrated by Whoopi and she kind of represented the spirit of California and so it was one of those things where everywhere was Whoopi but also you had other celebrities like and we've talked about this briefly in past episodes over in the wharf area the only thing they had to offer was a bread tour so you could see how a bread bakery worked and Ellen DeGeneres was the host of that video <laughs> so she would take you through and she was basically just a sitcom star at that time. Yeah, this is pre-Dory and everything. Yeah, and then also on the other side was the Tortilla Factory, so you could actually go through there, and I, I was explaining all this to my wife. You know, she grew up in Montana. They did not go to Disneyland, and so I was telling her all about these things. She's like, you know what? You're telling me this is bad, but I'm a super <laughs> nerd, so all this educational stuff and free bread and tortillas? She's like, I would have been there every day. <laughs> so I was like, alright, dear, I guess you were their target audience but yeah so that was definitely going on but there's also something that i think is worth mentioning is that there were some missed opportunities where they really could have used the characters that they had that maybe again were not disney characters or rather were not popular disney characters but they could have revitalized like condor flats was a land that was supposed to celebrate the aviation history of california so it's basically just big airplane hangars that's where sword over california was located and then there was a restaurant there and then they had an acapella group that would sing they were dressed as airplane mechanics 
mechanics called John Doe, and they would oh, sing yeah. like R&B hits Motown mm-hmm. songs, you know? So it was like Boys to Men at California Adventure. But I always thought in my brain, I was like, why is the Rocketeer not a character that walks around here that right. you can pose with? I well, loved or, that movie. Yeah, the Rocketeer or like Launchpad or... Yeah the tailspin characters because we still Absolutely. have Baloo and Kick Cloud Kicker and, and uh, Rebecca is a costume for some reason. Yeah, granted by 2001 tailspin had been off the air for yeah, five or six years. But... I mean like so had Goof Troop but they still were rocking out Max. That's true. Now one thing I think we should mention because Jeff you talked about it Sword Over California absolutely was the marquee ride of California Adventure. I mean it was like Star Tours on steroids. So it was great because if, if you've never ridden it I'm sure most people listening love it too but I mean essentially you feel like you're flying because you're pulled up on these harnesses you know so you actually have your feet dangling you feel the air blow past you you smell oranges they just give you all these different you know, sensory experiences while you're doing it but the one thing that it does have at the very end is a special shot of Sleepy Beauty's castle all lit up at night that takes a flight down Main Street and we happen to have one of the stars of that shot on the show with us tonight. (laughs) Jeff, would you care to explain the circumstances of you appearing in that shot? Well, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of a misnomer. Like, no, (laughs) well, because the funny thing is, is that, that today that would kind of be no big deal because of drones, because now you can get those shots all the time. If you just get a drone for, you know, nine, nine, or not nine, 99, 49.99 from, you know, whatever. But back in those days, obviously, they didn't have that. So was it Christmas? I couldn't remember which yeah, one it was. It, it was a Christmas party, yeah. It was lit up like a Christmas, like yep. a Christmas. Well, I guess they didn't used to do Christmas like now where they had like the snow caps on the castle. They didn't have it like that. It was just lit up. So for a Christmas party for the cast, which took place at Disneyland after hours, they even told us, hey, we need to get some footage or something like that. So everybody wave at the helicopter and they did a flyover of, of all of us. So that's all the cast members down there waving at you. And I believe, Jeff, when I wrote it with you, you explained that you were over at the very end of Main Street, kind of by the Plaza Inn in that area. You're like, I was over there. That was all my right. spot. So <laughs> I, I believe you. I don't remember that, but <laughs> but uh, yeah. So that was a very cool ride. Now the other one that I feel like was kind of the signature ride there was California Screamin', which has now been rebranded as the Incredicoaster. But the yeah, California Screamin' was a big deal because again, Disneyland didn't really have traditional in that style of roller coaster. They had the other, you know, Space Mountain is a is a roller coaster technically. Big Thunder mountain railroad is technically a roller coaster but it's you know it's just not what you imagine this was like that old style you know wooden roller coaster that you would see right. in well, the it, had days. A, it had a loop-de-loop though yeah that was the big thing so that was a big deal but california adventure for me again we talked about how those rides were kind of generic you could have gotten them by going to any of the california theme parks or really theme parks nationwide but the one that stood out to me is the sun wheel and so the sun wheel was the <laughs> giant ferris I forgot how much you love that thing. Yes. But this is the thing. California Adventure does hold a distinction in my theme park experiences. It's the only theme park where I've actually thrown up. And it was on the sun wheel of all rides. So again, I loved riding it. I would get on it all the time. And just one day, I don't know what it was, if it was too much start and stop, too herky-jerky. If you don't know how this is set up, it's a giant Ferris wheel where you're inside this box. And the box is on a track that slides back and forth. So when you change the angle, your cart slides down, right. slides back and well, forth. some of and them so, are, right? Isn't it every other one? I think you're right, yeah. Some of them are fixed and some of them, yeah. It's kind of like being on choppy water in a boat. So it's just like, whoa, whoa. And so at one point, I just couldn't handle it anymore, and I just lost it all over the floor of that box. And so, yeah, I've never done that. I've been on any number of roller coasters and everything else. I've been to a fair and and ridden, you know, the spinning spaceships, you know, that you go on, and never. The only other time I've ever gotten sick on a ride was also at California Adventure, and that was 
was Tower of Terror. The first time I rode that, I was all clammy and cold sweats. I had to sit outside for like 20 minutes just trying to collect myself. I didn't actually toss my cookies there, but I was super queasy for a very long time. So there you go. California Adventure, Land of Pew. There you go. So on the flip side, the one that I remember is that we went on with our buddies from high school and... Adam was the one that was so gung-ho of like, no, this is the best ride, you guys. We've got to go on the... on the, <laughs> And all of the rest of us 22-year-old guys are like, seriously, we're going to go on a Ferris wheel? So we go on the Ferris wheel, and every time the thing slides from one side to the other, Adam's hopping up and down in his seat going, and all the rest <laughs> of us are just staring at him because they're like... This is entertaining to you? And Adam was just having the time of his life. <laughs> oh, it was so great. And actually, one of my favorite, not an emergency sticker, what is it called? Favorite, like, warning sticker, you know, where they say, like, don't do this on the ride. But there is a picture of that where it says, basically, don't stand up. But it's got a picture of a character, you know, that has just kind of got one arm down and one arm pumped, like, fist pumping in the air. So it looks <laughs> like they're dancing. So I'm always like, no dancing? So that, that's one of my favorites. <laughs> if they had anything that drew people in, I think Tower of Terror, when they finally built that, was one of those things like, number one, you could see it from far away. So it was very much kind of a signature thing. You were supposed to look at the Grizzly Peak and think that was a big deal. But again, the, the Grizzly River Run, like Knott's Berry Farm has one of those river rides where you're in the circular boat. So it is SeaWorld. So it is Magic Mountain. So it just, it wasn't anything special in and of itself, but it had, you know, that iconic mountain, you know, because that seemed to be the Disney thing. If you build a mountain, it means it's special. But Tower of Terror became like that peak you know looks like oh that's what people are going to come for i remember the other thing they did because originally they had a parade during the day that was called eureka and it was just oh, a lot of gaudy bro. like yellow orange and red <laughs> jumpsuits and leotards and people you know just celebrating the history and cultural diversity of california and it was just nothing special i mean i remember there was like guys rollerblading on bungees inside a loop you know so they would like spit around and it was crazy but they eventually again this is just six months after the park opened the main street electrical parade you know mm -hmm. that had been at disneyland for years was finally retired just prior to that and they're like oh you'll never see it in disneyland again you know and then they added it to california adventure just to get those nostalgic annual pass holders back i think so it just became disney's electrical parade at california adventure <laughs> they really tried to do everything that they could to uh to make it special but again it felt like adding more characters really didn't factor in i mean again except for the character dining experience at ariel's grotto which was a great plan i guess to bring in characters although as we discussed it wasn't really designed to have characters and then outside of that it was just going to be in that main plaza area or the hollywood back lot that you were going to have a character interaction now they've got the Marvel characters, they've got Cars Land, you know, they've got the whole Pixar Pier area, so they really have course corrected. It took, the crazy thing to me is that it took like 10 years <laughs> for them to make that decision. I was like, it should have been done within five, but then they spent $1.5 billion to basically reimagine the park and turn it into something that had actual rides. But even my friend that was just there, she has a four-year-old, she's like, there's still no rides for little kids. Mm barely at all there's so little to do there with a family it's not really designed for them ironically it's designed for again we want 20 somethings and teenagers that's that's what the original thought was yeah i mean but i think they are finally on the right track you know nearly 20 years later but by then they'll have the marvel land up and running the bugs life going away I, the fact that it's stuck around this long is actually super surprising to mm. me because that's not a fondly remembered film in any way so it's one of those things where i think if they can keep amping up the familiar characters you know because like one of the cool things they added at the pixar pier area is that they finally made that kind of shooting gallery for a toy story 
which, you know, they've had for quite a while now. But that's like, that's a lot of fun, you know, things like that, where you're going to have recognizable characters and a way to use, you know, all of your IP, you know, they have so many characters that why would you just leave them by the wayside in favor of, you know, adult entertainment? Um, Well, that sounds wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the other thing that was a major criticism of California Adventure at the time was, again, they instead of giving us attractions and rides, they had so many shops and so many restaurants. You know, that like they were they had already built downtown Disney, but it was kind of like paying to get in to another downtown Disney, essentially. The one that always cracked me up, uh, which was in the Hollywood Pictures backlot area, was called award wieners oh yeah come on i I just feel like that is a comedy term that is not thrown around nearly enough these days wiener (laughs) weenie i mean that's just funny and nobody's using it we gotta bring it back somehow (laughs) even if it's a bad pun but um i think it's worth mentioning you know as we close here too uh sword over california probably had my favorite pre-ride situation because not only did you get to hear great orchestral soundtracks like you know the rocketeer theme and things like that but patrick warburton was basically a host you know of the pre-show to explain to you how to safely buckle yourself and everything like that (laughs) and he was like dressed as a flight attendant and i just remember there's this one part where there's this little kid and he's uh you know proudly buckling his seatbelt Patrick Warburton's just like nice job pal (laughs) it's like totally just patronizing this kid so that always cracked me up it's like yeah all right good times good times but Jeff uh as you continued your career in the character department did you feel like you worked more at California Adventure or did you eventually cut back like as you got to choose your shifts and work there less and less I went through several different phases of my career. Uh, Like I I went through, like we kind of talked about last time, I think I went through a phase like where I was working almost exclusively in Disney dining. I did like when I was doing a bunch of shows, I did like tours and stuff like that. I actually at at the very end, the last couple of months, I actually cut back to part time. And so then it just kind of shoved me wherever I did a a number of host shifts. Uh, So in that era, I was certainly working in California Adventure more. I I would say that on any given week, I would work in California Adventure at least once a week, not including like, again, when I was doing like the shows there and stuff like that. So I I feel like I I worked there, especially the end. I felt like that was they had a, a big need for hosts. So I remember hosting Flick and Ada a number of times and working over in uh, Ariel's Grotto a bunch. Yeah, and that's I kind of felt like I worked there more doing Goofy during my first tour of duty in the, in the, when the park first opened. And then, yeah, by the end, in my final months at the park, I felt like I was over there as Kronk and Mr. Incredible and things like that quite a bit. Mm. Like, that was just a regular shift that I, I was getting fairly often, along with, you know, doing some Sweetums as well. So it was, I, I felt like I spent a lot of time at California Adventure and... I don't want to say, you know, it was a bad experience because it was interacting with guests is always fun and you get to enjoy it as much as you can. But it just being in that setting, it just didn't have the magic of Disneyland because Hmm. I didn't look around and see, you know, a Toontown exterior or just like something that felt like it had a history behind it that was exciting. Like I said, we were often just in front of the animation building itself and just kind of hanging out and like, hey, I'm a new character from a new movie do you remember me all right you know and like i said a lot of times i especially when it was slow i would just enjoy watching cruella Deville walk around to do her shtick be semi snarky to guests and things you know and threaten to steal their puppies <laughs> and whatever you know so like that that was always more fun for me just seeing the face characters that might uh appear and, and make things more interesting and i think ultimately i would prefer to work there now probably if i could get a job as one of the marvel characters but (laughs) i don't know probably not likely at this point i think they're you know they're on a good course correction so hopefully we can next time we get to go visit the park we can really enjoy and and take stock of what they've accomplished how far they've come so as we close jeff is going to explain to us his experience of actually working opening day over at california adventure i don't think i had a shift that day 
but I do remember, you know, the buzz and the excitement of everything happening. So, Jeff, what was it like on that first day? Yeah, what well, were you doing over there? Actually, technically, it wasn't opening day. It was actually the pre-opening party, which I think was the night before. So the night before, basically what is now downtown Disney was all closed off and just celebrities and special guests and VIPs and all that sort of stuff like that. I think it started at maybe 9 p.m. and it went till I think 2 a.m. and it had an open bar and for one reason or another they wanted to have characters just standing out there to take photos with all of the whoever. And as California Adventure may have, well, it doesn't seem like it's actually proven yet, but is if you ask me, open bar and alcohol and characters do not mix and should not mix. And so having some inappropriate interactions with the various guests was peculiar. But at the very least, having a shift where you're working until 2 a.m. working with a bunch of adults that have had a couple of drinks was uh, was a, a very different sort of an experience. And you were just there as Goofy? Yes, yeah. So basically, the, the photo location that we would do would be the Fab Five. So it would be Goofy, Mickey, Minnie, Pluto, and Donald would be those five were at that photo location. And so there was two groups of us that would rotate. But that yeah, that we were there all night long. Wow. And do you remember any celebrity sightings? Any tipsy stars of the silver screen? Not, to be honest, I and, and I don't remember if we talked about this in our celebrity. I think we did. Is that I, I was always kind of, I still am. I, I kind of am awkward around celebrities. I don't quite, I don't want to be like, oh my gosh, I want to ignore everybody else so I can look at you. So instead I end up ignoring the celebrity. But yeah, we didn't have any specific that I remember. Uh, I feel like there was definitely like stories of like, oh my gosh, I just saw this and oh my gosh, I just saw this and I just kind of wanted to do my thing and, and go back to the break area. So I don't remember anybody specifically. All right. Well, Jeff was there, guys. He was there as the, the excitement kicked off and petered out. <laughs> so, but there you go. California Adventure. If you have more stories that you guys want to share with us of the early days of the park and what you recall, feel free to shoot us an email at Two Goofs Podcast gmail.com you know you can find us on twitter we're always uh, ready to listen and we love hearing your stories and interacting if you have any questions things that we did not answer also reach out to us because sometimes the mundane to us is uh, very exciting to you so certainly we're happy to share and hopefully this episode wasn't too negative i think it's more almost whimsical and how uh, misguided it all was <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was a strange and surreal place to work in those early days so we're glad to have been there and to share that with you so the other thing i'll just mention is that we are going to continue obviously the show this is the halfway point of our 12 episodes so we have more to come and we want you to be sure to spread the word you know we had some five star reviews up top we'd love to get more again just general stories of characters we'd love to read them in our goof mail segment but we want you to get ready for our episode so next time around with episode seven this is one that we've actually been looking forward to just an opportunity to give you the behind the scenes peek at who were the people right like what were the people who get into costume like and what were memorable experiences of the bonding and the time that we shared together whether it was just hanging out with friends or maybe doing some dating at work and whatever it might be so next time around is going to be our break room bonding episode so we hope that you will return and join us for that fun experience so many stories to share for sure so <laughs> and we'll try to we'll try to keep it safe here because we know a lot of our our former co-workers listen and are still working there but either way it's it's going to be a lot of fun so until next time oh yuck bye <laughs>